Daniel 12.4 says, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Notice this description. Many shall run to and fro. That's how you could really sum up these last days. They've, they've gotten very fast-paced, breakneck speed. And we, we have to get so much done in so little time now. And, and so people are running to and fro. And as a result, we are failing, I think, to be the good neighbors that we ought to be. And maybe not even recognizing how important it is that we are good neighbors. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the book of Romans and the 13th chapter, Romans chapter 13. I uh, just finished this book today. I was reading it uh, actually this week, and this verse here that we're going to be looking at kind of uh, stood out at me and and really gave me a thought for the message today. There's an insurance company, I think it's called State Farm. They've had an expression or at least a motto for years, like a good blank. State Farm is there, and I think you know the word that goes in the blank, neighbor. I'd like to talk about being a good neighbor today. Here in Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 8, it says, O no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor, there's our word, as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. I'm going to talk today about being a good neighbor. Being a good neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we just pray now that you would bless our time in your word. May the Scripture speak to our heart. May you help us in this area to look within and really be honest and see if we're really the neighbor that we ought to be. And Father, may we understand what it means to be a good neighbor by the time we're done. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Day uh, after tomorrow, my wife and I will be going to a funeral. Uh, a Christian man, a fine fella. I've known him for years. He's just a little older than myself, tragically passed away recently. I was thinking about a funeral home out in uh, Lancaster, Texas. It's run by a fellow by the name of Ray Williams. He's 48 years of age. And uh, he was concerned when he saw the the times we're living in and the hectic pace people are keeping and and how little regard there really was to even go to visitation anymore and, and, and pay last respects to the departed. So he bought an abandoned restaurant with the drive-up window and all. You can about guess what he did. He enlarged the window and he, he, he made kind of a platform to raise up the casket and, and uh, now people can just drive through instead of coming in if they're in a hurry and pay their last respects to the dear departed by going through the drive through window of the funeral home. You know, it's really pathetic, isn't it? But it's a sign of the times that we're living in. And they're very hectic times, a very, very fast pace. You know, it was all prophesied to happen. 
Daniel 12.4 says, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Notice this description. Many shall run to and fro. That's how you could really sum up these last days. They've, they've gotten very fast-paced, breakneck speed. And we, we have to get so much done in so little time now. And, and so people are running to and fro. And as a result, we are failing, I think, to be the good neighbors that we ought to be. And maybe not even recognizing how important it is that we are good neighbors. Did you know it's the royal law to love your neighbor as yourself? James 2.8 says, If ye fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Just gives it some oomph, doesn't it? The royal law to be a good neighbor. Now, notice that's mentioned here in our text of Romans 13. In verse number 9, it rattles off a lot of commandments, and we won't get into that. But in the middle, toward the end of the verse, it says, If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So let's talk about being a good neighbor. And as we do, let's consider, first of all, what I call the cordial issue, the very issue of being cordial, being friendly, having compassion, helping people out. There was a young lad sometime back by the name of Mark Schultz, in Bremerton, Washington, who put an ad in the local paper saying, 12-year-old boy with no dad, would somebody please take me fishing? The point is, there are needs everywhere out there. There are needs all over the place. And as we near the second coming of Christ, I'm afraid we're going to see a lot less and less of people being good neighbors and meeting those needs. And sadly, even amongst Christian people, because we've been affected by the pace. I mean, we got all the little gadgets and gadgets and all the stuff to make life faster and more hectic as much as anybody else. And the world has really rubbed off on us and we've been caught up in the rat race of this world. Yet, it really ought to be the trademark of Christian people to be good neighbors. You know, back in Acts chapter 16, we find a fellow who's a rough, tough jailer. And I think he manhandles Paul and Silas as he puts their feet in the stocks and puts them in the inner prison But he gets saved that night. I'm talking about the Philippian jailer. And I find something amazing happen when when Christ comes into the heart, he brings with him compassion. Because we find in Acts 16.33 that he took them, Paul and Silas, the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, the stripes he had put on them, and was baptized he and all his straightway. Notice he's, he's mending their wounds at this point. Why? Well, something's happened. He's different now. He's got compassion. He was rough before, but now he's being a good neighbor. And and I'll say it again. That ought to be the trademark of Christian people. Look, if you would, in 1 Corinthians. Just turn forward from where you're at to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You know, it's something that's going to take a conscientious effort. We're going to have to train ourselves and ask God for his help in order to be good neighbors, plain and simple. Paul talks about it here in 1 Corinthians 10. And I think he was there from years of practice. In verse 33, he says this, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Of course, that started with the ministry of helps, no doubt, and, and being a blesser, a blessing to people. 
And his point was, he wasn't trying to please himself anymore. And that's the whole point of being a good neighbor. We have to die to self. We have to forget self. And he says, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many. Way to, what a way to live. Imagine going through life being a continual blesser. We talk about it, we hear about it, but do we really make it our goal every day to walk through our day trying to be a blessing, to be a continual blesser? Or are we too caught up in ourselves and, 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 and other things? You know, stuff, stuff is just not that important. We put a lot of importance on it, but it really isn't. If you turn a page here in 1 Corinthians or 2, look to chapter 13. And let me make a point from this great love chapter of the Bible, beginning in verse 1. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So we could be eloquent, we could be great orators, we could have the tongue of angels, but if we don't, don't have the heart of a good neighbor, forget it. In verse 2 he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Look, he said, I could have all this going for me. I could even have that faith Jesus talked about to actually move mountains. But if I do it without love, what's the point? And then in verse 3 he says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body be burned, or he's a martyr, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So we can have a lot of stuff going for us. We can be busy, 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 busy. But if we're not a good neighbor, we're like that sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Do we actually scope out, do we actually look for opportunities to be a good neighbor? You know, as I study the book of Job, I see that Job was a good neighbor. And you remember what happened to him. It just all came down on him. And to add insult to injury, his so-called friends show up and they start accusing him of just being a nasty sin and this is God's judgment and all that stuff. Look what they said here in Job 6.27. Yea, ye overwhelm the fatherless. And you dig a pit for your friend. Can you picture this in your mind? You're, you're, you're harassing the, the orphans and you're digging pits for your friend. We know you're up to this stuff, Job. They went on in Job 22.9. Thou hast sent widows away empty. And the arms of the fatherless have been broken. Can you just see Job snap, snap, crack, crack, you know, that nasty and that mean and, and breaking the little orphans' arms. And they're accusing them all this stuff. You know, the truth of the matter is, it was the exact opposite. I like what, what Job says. He says uh, in so many words, well, well, let God be my judge. He says something really humorous, kind of a Jewish curse here in Job 31.21. Job says, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless, when I saw my help in the gate, then let mine arm fall from my shoulder blade and mine arm be broken from the bone. Because, you know, let my arm fall off. He's saying, I didn't do that. You were lying about me. Now, here's the truth of the matter. Job continually was scoping out needs. And, and chapters later, he, he comes out and he says it. In Job 29, 12, he says, Because I delivered the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none to help him. He goes on and he says, I scoped out, you know, needs at hand, and if I saw something, I, I met that need. You know, he had that kind of good neighbor mentality. 
plain and simple. He had that peripheral vision, I call it, if we understand what that is. You know, kind of the, the, the periscope that's continually just scanning and looking around and, and trying to see even out the sides of our eyes, if we could, to, to things that are in need wherever we might be. We get such a, a tunnel vision, don't we? We only see this little part of the big picture. Tunnel vision. There was a song when I was a boy, just a real simple message to it, entitled, Try a Little Kindness. Try a Little Kindness. If, if, if we see somebody in need, do we, do we walk by or do we drive by or, or do we actually stop and help? You know, if there's a hundredfold reward for giving a cup of cold water to, to a kid... Imagine if we stop and we help somebody with something they're really struggling with or, or some discouragement in life. In, in Hebrews, and we've, we've talked about who wrote the book of Hebrews, and, and it, it may have been Paul, it may have been somebody else, most, most likely Paul, but he, uh, he says something, if he's the writer, that makes it sound like he's the writer about this very thing. And in Hebrews 10.34, he says, For ye had compassion of me in my bonds. Doesn't that sound like Paul? The, my bonds. And took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. He's talking about that hundredfold there. He's talking about that reward. Of course, they dug in their pockets and, and, and he calls it spoiled yourselves or, or robbed yourselves to help me out. And he said, you met a need. You're a good neighbor. There's a great reward waiting for you there. And there really is. What about us? So we see the, the cordial issue, the issue of being cordial. But secondly, let's take a look at what I call the classic illustration of being a good neighbor. And it's found in Luke chapter 10. I think of all passages in the Bible, this really drives it home. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a, it's a day in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ where he's preaching and he's teaching and somebody asks him a question, insincerely, I might add. In Luke chapter 10, we pick it up in verse number 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor, notice, thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, 
Go and do thou likewise. We find the Lord Jesus Christ here making an assault on selfishness. It's, it's really humorous. The classroom is the street. He's not in a synagogue or some building here. He's just teaching out on the street. And we find here the master at work. This is a classic. There's a skeptic in the crowd. Verse 25 says, Then behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him. It's a lawyer. Figures, doesn't it? <laughs> By the way, what's it sound like when you run over a lawyer? I've told this to you before. It sounds like boom, boom, ert, boom, boom, ert, boom, boom, ert. Um, anyway, that's not very nice. And, and this could be anyone. It could be an IRS agent or somebody. And honestly, all lawyers are not that way. But here's a lawyer, and, and it doesn't mean an attorney like we think. It means a, a doctor of the law, a somebody who studies the law, studies especially the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible. And what they would do is they would have these kind of wristband things called phylacteries, and they'd wear them on their wrists, and inside they contained key verses of Scripture that they had memorized, that, that they were trying to practice, that would remind them of, of the life they should be living. Now, just keep in mind, his motive here is to trap Christ. He's, he's trying to ensnare the Lord, which is a joke. And so he has a question. Uh, he, he says, uh, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? In verse number 25. In verse 26, Jesus said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? So Jesus answers his question with a question. By the way, it's been often said, He who frameth the question winneth the argument. And you're not going to win an argument with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christ says, You tell me. So he, he puts the ball back in the court of the lawyer. Lawyers don't like that, by the way. They, they don't like the ball in their court. Well, in verse number 27, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And here he is just quoting like crazy. Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 and all this stuff he's got memorized there. Uh, I can just see Jesus kind of looking at his flactory there saying, what saith the law? And so this guy, he knows the law. Well, in verse number 28, he, Jesus, said unto him, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Now, wait a minute. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a work salvation, doesn't it? And, of course, people who, who, who have this love affair with work salvation love this passage because they say, see, look what he's saying there. No, he's not saying anything about working your way to heaven. You've got to read the whole passage, which we already did. He was stringing this man along to show him something. Jesus did that all the time. I mean, there'd be 5,000 people. He'd say, Philip, how are we going to buy bread for all these guys? Like he didn't know? No, he was trying to get Philip to see something. Or he'd say to Peter, you know, should we be paying tribute? And Peter goes, oh, I don't know. And Christ said, well, lest we should offend him. He was always doing stuff like that. He, the Emmaus Road, remember, he made as though he would have gone further after his resurrection. You've got to understand something. He's the master teacher. And so he's got a route he wants to take somebody. And, and, and uh, he, he's, he's trying to get this guy to see how self-righteous he is and how impossible it is to get to heaven by keeping the law and what a, a poor neighbor he is. By the time he's done, he's going to show him that. So, so don't miss it. He's dealing with a very self-righteous, insincere man. And, and Christ always gave grace to the humble. He always gave the law to the proud. 
So he's using it here to show him something. So he puts the ball back in the court of the lawyer here, and, and he says, okay, go ahead, go for it. This do, and thou shalt live. Notice verse number 29. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Leave it to a lawyer to get technical, right? <laughs> Who's my neighbor? You know, kids are like that, aren't they? they? They can get real technical. So who is my neighbor? Let's split hairs over this. Is this the guy next door, Jesus? Or are you talking about the guy down the block? Or are you talking about the guy that I've never met? I mean, who's my neighbor? That's the question. And so that's the question to us. If we're going to be a good neighbor, we have to know who our neighbor is. Well, in verse number 30, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's this have to do with my neighbor? Just tell me who he is. Well, Christ has a story to tell about this guy who traveled from Jerusalem to Jericho. And you need to understand, everybody there knew about that road that went from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jericho is about uh, a thousand feet below sea level, and Jerusalem's about 2,000 feet above sea level, and the two two cities are less than 20 miles apart. So if you're going to descend 3,000 feet in that distance, it's it's a pretty steep steep climb, and not only that, there are crevices and there are boulders all over the place, and and that was a treacherous road, because that's where the thieves hung out very well traveled and they would hide behind some of those boulders and they would they would mug people so it was it was like the back alley of the the holy land it was kind of a risky place to travel here and sure enough read verse 30 and Jesus answering said a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed leaving him half dead well the lawyer could identify with that because that was pretty common stuff on that Jericho road. Well, in verse 31, it says, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The lawyer's getting a little nervous at this point because those are his, his cronies, his buddy, his, his priest buddies. In verse 32, And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him huh, and passed by on the other side. Christ is picking on the cream of the crop, priests and Levites, to drive his point home. And I think the lawyer knew their reaction was pretty true to life. That's about what a priest and a, and a Levite would do, kind of have that attitude. I, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to uh, get my hands dirty. Not my table, you know, that kind of, you know, I don't do windows. You know, that attitude of just, no, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get involved in that stuff. Notice in verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, (laughs) as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Hold the phone here. Samaritan? I could just see the lawyer's jaw dropping. Because you need to understand, the Jews hated the Samaritan and vice versa. They wouldn't help each other out for anything. In fact, when Jesus was talking with the woman at the well, she even brought that up. What are you doing talking to me? Samaria was right in the middle of the, the Holy Land with, with Galilee on top and, and Judea on the bottom. And you had to go through Samaria to get from north to south. But people would go out of their way, Jews would, to get from north to south. It'd be like instead of taking I-29 up to Grand Forks, you, you scoot way over to Crookston to the east and then come back to the west just to avoid Hillsborough or some, some town in the middle. That was how they looked at Samaria. They didn't want to go through it. And so... 
he brings up a Samaritan. And, and here's, the, here's the lawyer now beginning to sweat and, and, uh, and get beat red and flush because now he can see where this thing's heading. Oh, oh, oh wait, wait. I asked that, that neighbor question. In verse 34, Christ goes on. Speaking of the Samaritan, he says, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Notice the compassion that was mentioned in verse 33 is practiced in verse 34. Here's a Samaritan of all people stopping to help a Jew. Stopping long enough to feel something. That's, that's our problem. We, we really don't stop long enough to uh, step inside of somebody else's broken heart. This Samaritan does so. He's, he's connecting with the pain of another person. That's what it means to be a good neighbor. Notice verse 33 says, He came to him. Never really noticed that until recently. Came where he was, which was a ditch, I'm sure. He, so he comes down into the ditch. Verse 34, he pours in oil and wine, wine being a disinfectant and oil being something like a balm to, 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 uh, to just soothe the wounds there. And then he takes him to an inn, according to verse 34. And in verse 35, it says, And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence. One pence was one day's work or one day's wages. So he takes out two days' worth of wages. I wonder how many of us would give away two days' worth of money here. He gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. In other words, he had to be on his way evidently. But he does say, Whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. I will repay thee. Notice he says, When I come again. He plans on checking up on him, following through. That's, that's compassion. That's being a good neighbor. Well, in verse 36, Jesus finishes his story by saying to the lawyer, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? I picture a very long pause here. The, the lawyer is just speechless. I picture donkey ears on him. Hee-haw, hee-haw. He knows he didn't win this argument. He knows where this ended up here. Well, Christ waited. I, he had all day. And finally, I can picture the lawyer in verse 37, he said, He that showed mercy on him. Notice he couldn't even use the S word. Samaritan. He wouldn't, he wouldn't use his sanctified lips to even say that word. He said, He that had mercy on him. Beat red, no doubt about it. And then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. It was a really dumb idea to try and ensnare God, wasn't it? That, that thing didn't work there. You know, I don't know if the, the lawyer hung around after the crowd left. I'd like to think he did. I would like to think that, that the piercing illustration of Christ got down into his heart. And after the crowd had kind of thinned out, he came over and had some questions and maybe they talked some more. It doesn't say in the Bible. But there is a good point made here in this classic illustration to us. And it, it's this, what kind of a neighbor am I? What kind of a neighbor am I? You see, it's not a matter of location. I'm not even talking about a neighborhood here. I'm talking about something that's pretty rare. And honestly, even within a New Testament church, sadly, and I, I think we're all guilty, if we really 
practice being a good neighbor, outside of these four walls even, you know, this place wouldn't hold the crowd. It, it really wouldn't. We wouldn't have to spend a dime on outreach or advertising or any of those things. People would see something that's pretty rare in this world, but something that was commonly taught in the Bible. If, if we would just ditch our self-absorption, just get over ourselves and stop walking by needs and stop driving by needs and looking for needs instead, what a difference we could make. And again, we can talk about it, I can preach about it, we can read it, but to practice it is a whole other thing, isn't it? You know, we uh, have some things on the drawing board and some even in place right now. My son is overseeing a, a ministry right now we're just initiating called the Compassion Ministry. We also are, are gearing up to do a, a, a ministry to the addicted and, and some other things, but opportunities to be a good neighbor and, and really to care and really to make a difference. It's the cordial issue. We see the classic illustration. And finally, let's talk about the Christian's initiative. Taking the initiative. Many years ago in London, there was a, a train that pulled up to the station for the morning commute. And there was a, a crippled young man selling his, his fruit and his nuts there right beside it to the people that would come off that train. Well, before it even stopped, a, a businessman in a hurry swung a, a, out the door and, and plowed right into that boy in his cart and knocked everything over and looked back for just a moment, but it was no skin off his nose, and so he ran off to his appointment. People started to come out, and there was stuff scattered all ever, everywhere. There was one man on that train who came out, saw the tears in the lame boy's eyes, and, and reached down as quickly as he could, and helped him to pick up everything before it got trampled on, and finally got it all back into the baskets. He too was in a hurry, but he pulled out a, a silver dollar from his pocket and gave it to the boy and, and patted him on the head and started to leave when the boy called out and said, Say, say, mister! And the man turned around and the little boy said, Be ye Jesus? Be ye Jesus? The man said, No, son, I'm not Jesus, but, but I do try to do what he would do if he were here on this earth. You know, that's our initiative, is, is to do what Christ would do. Honestly, that, that's the example we need to follow. Romans 15.3 says, For even Christ pleased not Himself. He never did. Look in Matthew chapter 8. Here in the book of, of Matthew, we find like, oh, this gallery of, of snapshots of Jesus Christ being a good neighbor, showing compassion. In Matthew 8, Beginning in verse 2, it says, And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. He cared. Look in chapter 9. Matthew 9 and verse 35 tells us Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Look in chapter 15. He was moved to be a good neighbor in Matthew 15 and in verse number 32, Then Jesus called His disciples unto Him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with Me now three days and have nothing to eat, 
And I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. You know, we read in another Gospel where the apostles were saying, send them home, get them out of here. That would have probably been me. But we find the Lord here going, no, I have compassion on them. Look in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew 20, the Lord Jesus Christ was a blesser, a continual blesser. In Matthew 20 and in verse 34, so Jesus had compassion on them, a couple of blind men, and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Blessing, blessing, continually being a good neighbor, looking for needs, trying to be a blesser. Let me just say, one day, that same Lord Jesus Christ is going to split the eastern sky. And if you'll turn to Matthew 25, He's going to come back for what we call the judgment of the nations. And there's something very interesting that's recorded here in the Bible that's not recorded anywhere else in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 31. Jesus says, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations." And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from his goats. So you've already got the saved and the unsaved. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? And when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me." Now again, this isn't talking about a work salvation. He's already divided the sheep from the goats. And the, the bottom line is, they that are in the flesh can't please God anyway. And In fact, it says even the plowing of the wicked is sin in the Bible, meaning a, an unsaved man contaminates everything he touches. So really only the works of the saved are recognized, and here they are. He talks about the reward that these are going to see. And he uses this word in verse 40, least, the least of these my brethren. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren. The unknown, or, or the hurting, or the addicted, or, or the lowly, or the forgotten, or the afflicted, or, or the common man. Sadly, in this fast-paced world, we miss it often. We just don't see it. We drive by it. We forget the bruised and the broken. And, and, and really, we need to ask ourselves, are we catching it? What are we seeing? In John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And especially even within a local church where there are hundreds of opportunities to be a blessing to other people. You know, selfishness shrinks the heart every single time. And, and Jesus reminded us we did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister so it really changes the whole point in life. Now, several thoughts quickly as we wrap this up and, and try and be a good neighbor. And uh, we've made reference to them already, but number one, we need to be observant. 
And uh, very, very few people are observant when it comes to meeting needs. But there are some mentioned in the Bible as standouts. When Paul was in, in, in a dungeon in 2 Timothy 1.16, he wrote this to Timothy. He said, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. That spells effort. This fellow went the extra mile, and he, he was observant, and he looked for stuff like this. Secondly, we, we need to see what others failed to catch. What others failed to catch. I wish I had time to tell you the story when Albert Schweitzer arrived in America, but he was at this train station in Chicago about to make a speech when all of a sudden he said, excuse him, war, and he got down into the crowd and he saw something nobody else saw, this elderly lady who was struggling under the load of her, her luggage trying to get to the train. He picked him up and he said, ma'am, follow me. And the crowd parted for him and he got her on the train and he put her baggage in the upper level and uh, he, he said, bon voyage, and, and he went back and apologized for holding everybody up. But of that crowd... The guest of honor was the only one who caught a need out there in the crowd. We need to see what others fail to see. Thirdly, it requires dying to self. Dying to self. I'll never forget an illustration I told years ago about this first grade class who went to this dairy farm. And the, the guy who has given them the tour noticed one little girl. She just looked flustered through the whole thing, kind of looking around. And as he gave his uh, speech, he talked about how the dairy cows did this and all that. It took over an hour. And finally, he said, now, kids, do you have a, a question for me? And that little girl raised her hand and she said, didn't anyone notice my new snowsuit? You know, that's quite often our attitude, isn't it? We're not even getting what's going on around us because we're waiting for somebody to notice us. God help us to get rid of that attitude and die to self. Fourthly, if we're going to be a good neighbor, it's going to cause us to, to free up some time. None of that drive-through funeral stuff, okay? The requirement is to free up some time. And, and that to-and-fro stuff, we're going to have to resist that. Really, that, that stuff that keeps us running. Is it, is it that necessary? Is it really that necessary? You know, I'm so glad that Christ stopped to pity us when we were in our lost condition down here on this earth to be pathetic to our condition. I love this verse. 2 Corinthians 8 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. Of course, it's talking about the sacrifice He made on Calvary's cross when He died for our sins. That's being a good neighbor. Well, it's that time of the year, and I, I just think it appropriate when we, uh, when we get to this time of the year to kind of look back even at the year past and say, how did we do in this area? And, and how are we going to do in the year to come? Our text mentioned a bunch of commandments, but then it said if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I, I, I challenge myself in closing. I challenge all of us. In, in the months to come here, God help us to, to look for opportunities to help people, to be a blesser, uh, to be a good neighbor. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, 
Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.